0: We started last week a series called Life on the Vine and it's a study out of John chapter 15 and we're going to be back there again this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to go ahead and turn to or punch in John 15, we will be there in just a moment. What we talked about last week is the reality of Jesus trying to tell us in terms of productivity is an important thing for us in the kingdom of God. He wants us to produce fruit That is consistent with our participation in the kingdom of God. And so, what kind of fruit are we talking about? It's sort of like what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, where he talks about things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self control. The question for us is are these things more and more evident in our life as we pursue Jesus? As our life is deeply engrafted into the vine that is Jesus, do we see more and more of that? And so, The issue for us is not how to produce fruit, and we're not even trying to concentrate on fruit production. Our task is to concentrate on remaining in Jesus that by remaining in Jesus, the natural byproduct, the overflow of that, will be this fruit in our life. And Jesus himself invites us in Matthew chapter 5 to be kind of fruit inspectors, if you would, to see what kind of fruit is in your life. That a bad tree, he'll say, cannot bear good, good fruit. In the same way, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. By your fruit, you shall know them. So we're kind of focusing on that area of our lives in terms of fruitfulness. I'd like to go back to John 15. Let's just go ahead and read this passage together again. I'll be starting. Verse 1 here says this. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. I want to focus this morning on one important principle and a very difficult text, and it's back in verse 2, so if you want to let your eyes float back here to verse 2, it's where Jesus says here, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I want to talk to you this morning about the pruning shears of God, and I want you to notice first off in verse 2, who gets pruned in their life? Everybody. Whether you're bearing fruit or not bearing fruit, everyone will meet the pruning shears of God. One might be in judgment or the other is in redemptive form where, no, this is only for your good and for your sake that you could bear more fruit. But everybody has an encounter with the pruning shears of God. To make this even more specific for you, you will encounter the pruning shears of God in your life. And honestly, I've got to tell you, This is one of the more painful parts of the Christian life. This is one of the more difficult aspects of the Christian life. I wish I could tell you that being in the life of Jesus is always easy and full of warm fuzzies and syrupy sweet and always makes us feel good. Go ahead and eat that up as much as you can because we're about to take a turn real quick. But unfortunately, in the spiritual life, pruning is an essential part of it, and it bites. Okay, I just be honest, it, it it isn't fun. It's never. It never feels pleasant. I mean, even the act of pruning itself, doesn't it just seem so violent? I mean, you're just cutting through flesh and hacking things off and sawing pieces everywhere. And it feels like when it's happening in the midst of it, it feels like a part of you is being severed from your life. It'd be one thing if it was like some foreign object that got tangled into your life and God was just kind of removing it. No, no, I'm talking about things that feel like they're inherently a part of who you are are going to get cut off and chopped off by God as the gardener, and it never is pleasant. It's Now listen, the end result is great. The end result is wonderful, but in the moment of pruning, it never feels that way. And in the moment of pruning, what happens is, Oftentimes, things get attached to our lives for so long, they, it becomes to take on, it's, it's sort of like our identity. And therefore, even though we kind of might know deep down, somewhere deep, it shouldn't be in our life, we're so used to the circumstances, we're so used to it in our life, it's sort of become a part of who we are. And then to have it severed from our life, it feels so painful. To illustrate this, there's a story in John chapter 5 where Jesus encounters a man who's been an invalid for 38 years. For 38 years, he's been an invalid. And so Jesus walks up to this man, and he asks him this question. I think it's at verse 6. He says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to get well? And at first I think to myself, really? Are you kidding me? This guy's been in an invalid for 38 years. Of course he wants to get well. But I've learned in my pastoral ministry over and over again that Jesus' question is very legitimate, that there really are times when people don't want to get well. Like, they might not say that explicitly, but you, you might run across somebody who, like, well, don't you want to get out of unemployment? I mean, don't you, don't you want to have a job? But they become so used to that life or the circumstances, they become so a part of who they are, and it's kind of taken some aspect or part of their identity that they're actually afraid of what work looks like or what a job might mean for them or what it would look. And so what happens is uh, someone says, like, do you want to be made well? I'm not sure that I do. Or you see this on the show Cops all the time where, you know, you know domestic abuse call, and they show up and they're going to arrest the guy for beating his girlfriend or his wife. And what's the wife doing? She's there crying, oh, I love him, I love him, I don't want to press her. You're like, are you kidding me? I mean, pruning this guy from your life at this moment is the best thing for you. But there's something in her life that's become such a part of her identity that the idea of him not being around even though he's terrible for her somehow is worse than this idea of having something pruned and we all, this is we all have things in our life that we know, I mean, at least as objectively as we can, that if they were taken away from us, we'd probably be better off. Uh, it might be thoughts, it could be habits, it could be patterns of behavior, it could be relationships. I, I don't know what it is, but I think for each of us, there's something deep down that we kind of know, yeah, if this were not in my life, it, it really, I'd bear more fruit for Jesus. And it... it And it seems like pruning just even looks counterintuitive. I mean, if you've ever seen a pruning of a tree or a grapevine, it it looks radical. I mean, massive sections are being hacked away and cut away, and it looks like you're actually killing the tree. And so it has that counterintuitive feel. But in actuality, by cutting and pruning, you're actually making the tree or the grapevine even more healthy and, and stronger and more productive. Pruning is essential both in horticulture and also in our spiritual life. So, here's my warning for us. I want to talk about things that need to be cut from our life, but I have no interest in giving you a list. I mean, maybe you've been to those churches or you've heard from those pastors where they have the list of do not, like, you cannot do this as a Christian. You know, know, no drinking, no cussing, no smoking, no playing cards, no going to the movies, no rated R movies, especially that one about that magician named Mike. (laughs) Come on now, I know Growing up, it was called mixed bathing. You know what that was? It it was swimming together with the opposite sex, like even like fully, you know, swimsuits. But they call it no mixed bathing, no dancing, no gambling unless you're going to tithe your winnings, no caffeine. You know what we're talking about, right? It's the list. I have no desire to give you a list like that this morning. And the the reason why is because I've seen the movie Footloose. And I'm not having my daughter end up like that pastor's daughter did, dancing all sexy like with Kevin Bacon. I'm just not going to have it. And that's right. I said Kevin Bacon because the original movie is far better than this recent. re. You get what I'm saying. Okay, I'm moving moving on. Here we go. In the end, I think such lists typically end up being legalistic and, in my opinion, brings more death than it does life. And I know the things that need to be pruned from my life are different than the things that need to be pruned in your life the fact of the matter is if we're all to make a list of the things that are keeping us from bearing fruit, the things in my life and on that list would be different than the things on yours. And the truth is, there might be something in your life that isn't keeping you from bearing fruit at all. But if you were to put that in my life, it would keep me from bearing fruit. That's why, in some way, it really is a spirit-guided individual exercise of wondering, of asking the Father, would you just reveal to us what in our life needs to be pruned so we could be more fruitful? So the central question for us this morning is this what is keeping you from bearing fruit? What is it in your life that is keeping you from being more fruitful? I mean, even if you are bearing fruit, what's keeping you from bearing more fruit in your life? What's keeping you from growing in things like love and joy and peace and patience? What what needs to be pruned so that you can we can move in, in, in that direction. I just want to give you four suggestions of areas to look for. Again, these aren't a list of things. These are areas in your life I would commend you looking at and investigating to see, oh, there is something here that needs to be maybe pruned for my life. Number one, functional saviors in your life. Look in your, look in your life for what are the functional saviors that I have in my life right now. Now, there's another word I could use for functional savior. It's idol. Uh, but typically when we say idol, an image of some statue shows up, and we think, well, we're not doing that, and so we kind of quickly dismiss it and move on. So I would encourage you to think in terms of what functionally is a Savior in your life? And and the best way to find that is, is with this hint. It is, what's the greatest fear you have in your life? What caused you the most anxiety in life more than anything else? What scares you to death? Like when you think about it, in your mind you're thinking, Oh, that would be like living in hell. Like right now, that's a functional hell because wherever that is, oftentimes when we have those functional hells, what we do is we look for a functional savior. And so that's the first place to look is what might be the functional saviors in our life that's trying to rescue us from our perceived or maybe even sometimes real functional hell in our life. And, and it could be all sorts of things. If, if if, for you, it might be financial insecurity. That's a, oh, that'd be the worst thing that could happen. If I, and so maybe for you, money becomes that functional savior. Or, or maybe for you, it, it might be one of those things where uh, not uh, being alone the rest of your life or not ever being wanted or desired. Or maybe it's having your friends reject you. All those things feel to you like a functional hell. It could be something as not being able to sit with the cool kids at lunch in the cafeteria. Boy, that would be terrible. So what do we look to to rescue us from that situation It might be having to raise your child all by yourself. Or what if I have to relive in my mind over and over again those memories from that abuse? That would be like a functional hell. And so in that, if your greatest fear is being alone all of your life or not having anyone ever really love you, then you're going to look for a functional Savior. And sometimes when we go looking for a functional Savior, you'll meet him online and he'll be terrible for you, but you won't recognize that because you're needing somebody to rescue you from where you're presently feeling like you're in a functional hell. Does that make sense? And this is why this happens all the time. If you feel like you are living in a functional hell by being, oh, I can't be alone the rest of my life. Nobody's ever going to love me. You You find somebody who quickly fills that void to be that functional savior in that mess, and they could be terrible for your life and keep you from bearing more fruit for Jesus. Or maybe for you, your greatest fear is not having financial security. And so what's happening is your retirement account has become that functional savior for you, so you're obsessed with it checking it every day. You find your moods and your thoughts are fluctuating based on the market, whether you still have enough for retirement or losing money. And what happens is that might be a functional savior in your life trying to rescue you from a functional hell. Or or maybe for you, it's the fear that I'm going to have to keep feeling this the rest of my life and it's too painful for me. Or or I'm going to have to keep remembering this experience of abuse. And so for you, alcohol has become your functional savior. And the reason why is because alcohol really does numb that feeling. And it really does take away for at least temporarily that memory and gives you some sort of relief. Now, it's temporary and it comes with its own demons in the end. But you, you get what I'm saying. This is how alcohol can serve as a functional savior to the perceived functional hell that we're living in. Facebook could be a functional savior. I'm not alone. Look at my friends list. I really do have friends. TV, movies, all could be functional saviors. Food could be a functional savior. Not every functional savior is evil in and of itself. Sometimes they could be good things. But a good thing that becomes a God thing is always a bad thing. A- anytime a good thing becomes a God thing, meaning it becomes our Savior, then, it be- then it's a bad thing. Because for us, Jesus is our only Savior, and he is the one who wants to step into our life and to rescue us from every fear and from every anxiety and from every hell, both real or perceived. That every functional hell that you're living in right now, Jesus wants to step in and say, I will be the one who will rescue you from that and so anytime then we allow something else to be a functional savior in our life to be an idol in our life to take the place of jesus it's a there's a good possibility it is a space that god wants to come in with the pruning shears and says let me free you from this so you could bear more fruit so that's the first place i'd encourage you to look what are the functional saviors in your life where are the functional saviors in your life number two what in your life is taboo what in your life is taboo Or or what in your life is a secret? You don't don't want anyone else to know about. You don't want anyone else to mention. You don't want to get caught in this particular area. I had a professor in graduate school that I was a GA for who just passed away this, this past week of cancer. And he used to say that anything that is mentionable is manageable. It's the stuff we won't talk about that gets us. So anything that is mentionable is manageable. It's the stuff we won't talk about that will get us. So what are those spaces of your life that you're trying to keep from others and trying to conceal? It could be all sorts of things from the web browser history, maybe that late at night you're in the garage smoking a little doobie, in the, you know, right? how, how much you're really eating late at night when everyone else is in bed, or what the real reason is for the bruises on your child, or, or how much credit card debt you really have and you're trying to hide that from your spouse and so you're always shifting cards over. And, you know, all the, I mean, what is it that we're trying to, this is the taboo, this is the secret in our life that we're trying to not allow it to be exposed. I'm not talking about things that really aren't anybody's business or socially inappropriate to be sharing with everyone. I, I'm talking about those things in your life that you're taking greater lengths of care to ensure no one catches you or finds out. Or sometimes, a, a quick variation about this is, it's this principle of taboo is, what can really no one say around you without you getting extra defensive and extra sensitive? Does that make sense? Like, if this gets brought up, I get extra defensive, I get extra anxious or extra sensitive to it. And so you might not be hiding your drinking at all. Like, you could be like, it's not like a secret, I, I, you know, I'm drinking all the time. But if somebody comes and, and addresses how much you're drinking, do you find yourself getting overly defensive? Do you find yourself getting uh, o- overly sensitive to those sorts of things? Or, or, or if somebody comes up to you and talks to you about, you, you seem to be texting that woman who's not your wife an awful lot. Do you find there's something in you that gets super defensive and super sensitive? That you, th- I mean, that could be a huge red flag that, yeah, this is an area of our life that's a taboo or a secret that is taking on our end life in a way that's cutting off the fruit that God wants to have for us. Or, or maybe it's when somebody points out that, you know, when you're with that group of friends, you're a totally different person, right? Like, when you're with them, you, you don't act like yourself at all. You're, you, you become this, you become that. And I mean, not for the positive. And we get defensive in that, and get real sensitive. That might be a sign that, yeah, there's this area of, of taboo or secret. So, number one, look for the functional saviors that might be in your life. And then number two, what in your life is a taboo or a secret that no one else is allowed to talk about? Number three, here's another area. Ask yourself, where are the dead spaces or unproductive places in my life? Like, truly, it's a dead space, it's an unproductive place in my life. And what I mean by that is, what is in your life that's taking up the resources of your life, like your time, your thoughts, your energy, and yet it's yielding nothing, It's consuming a lot of energy, right? That's why pruning of the plants is so important. Because what happens is when it gets over, when the vegetation grows too much, it's sapping all the resources that the plant needs to grow healthy fruit. What in your life is sapping all of your time and all of your energy and all of your resources? But in the end, it's yielding nothing. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but um, have you ever had that gross feeling where you've got a huge long to-do list, you've got a lot of things you need to get done, and you just spent two hours on Facebook? You know that gross feeling, right? Anyone? Anyone want to confess this morning? Thank you. I'm saying... This church is on Facebook more than any church I've ever seen. I mean, so. I'm not even saying it's an intense feeling. It's just that little gnawing, gross feeling. Or maybe instead of putting together the resume, which is very important in your life right now, you just spent six hours watching a marathon of keeping up with the Kardashians on the E! Network, right? Right? And by the way, Scott Disick and Courtney are never getting married, and they shouldn't because he's a big jerk anyhow. And yeah, Kim and Kanye, I'm sure they're going to last till death do us part. And I'm telling you, Chloe is Robert Kardashian's daughter, and if Kim... Oh, never mind, okay. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> if she has lunch with that guy that she had an affair with on her deceased husband, I mean, she's crazy, isn't she? Okay, okay, we're moving on. I'm talking about that feeling. It's that occasional feeling. It might even be fleeting that just says, I don't think I like who I am in this. Like, I just, like I just don't like who I am and this feeling I get w- when I'm in this. What is in your life that truly yields nothing? It's a dead space, an unproductive place. And sometimes, I'm not saying put hobbies and stuff like that in there, because sometimes that could be good, right? Some things lead to rest or relaxation. That's not a bad thing because you could say, what about golf? What's golf doing for you? For me, nothing. But for some of you, golf might be a real area. of No, it's rest. It's relaxing. Those aren't bad things. I mean, I'm talking about those things that really, in the end, I have consumed tons of energy, time, and and resources that are my life and nothing to show for it. So the third, third area I would suggest is where are the dead and unproductive spaces in your life? Functional saviors. What's the secret or the taboo? and what's consuming dead spaces uh, of the energy. Number four is this. What is choking off the nutrients that produce fruit in your life? So this is another important area of pruning for plants. Sometimes uh, part of the plant gets diseased, and it needs to be cut off or the whole plant will be in jeopardy it will not be able to bear fruit because it's got another issue going on, and that's one of the essential needs of pruning. I would ask in the spiritual life the same question. Where's an area of your life that maybe it's choking out the nutrients that are needed? Like, we want to be engrafted in the vine of Jesus. That's what we talked about last week. The key is being in the vine that is Jesus. But what are those things in our life that's choking that that connection out, that's squeezing out the nutrients that should be flowing in our spiritual life by the power of Jesus? And so in that, sometimes it's... like, let me ask you this. If bearing joy and patience in your life is a struggle, like you're just thinking, actually, when it comes to patience, when it comes to joy, I, I, I'm, I'm not seeing that manifest in my life. It's possible, maybe, that you've got bitterness in your life that's choking it out. Like Hebrews 12, verse 15 says this. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So if you are bitter and you've got bitterness in your heart, whether it's maybe it's your ex-husband or your ex-boss or your dad, if that becomes consuming, it will always choke out joy and love and patience, always. And and maybe you've felt this, or maybe you've seen others that just get consumed in bitterness, like something. And I'm not saying it wasn't even like a legitimate hurt, like, no, really, that person really did hurt you. You really were wounded. I'm I'm not saying it wasn't true, but in response, rather than choosing a path of forgiveness, we chose a path of bitterness. And the next thing you know, everything about our countenance is just angry and bitter. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody like that where everything they say is just negative, it seems bitter, it's always got a harsh tone to it. And, it, I mean, and so then you ask, well, am I bearing joy? No, you're not going to bear any joy with a, with a spirit of bitterness. You're, you're not going to have any patience with anybody in your life with a spirit of bitterness taking over you. And this is when we need to go to God and say, we need you very lovingly to take your pruning shears and remove from my life bitterness so that I can move into these fruits of the Spirit uh, once, once again. Or maybe for you, it, it, now, just as a warning, bitterness even at times won't, you, won't, you won't call it that. You won't recognize it as bitterness. You'll, you'll put other labels on it like justice, righteousness, or sometimes even cute non-Christian terms like karma. But in the end, it's really bitterness choking off the life that Jesus intends for you. Or maybe you aren't bearing self-control. Self-control is one of those fruits of the Spirit. But if you examine in your life, you'll recognize, oh, yeah, that, this is why I don't have any self-control. When I hang out with that particular friendship group, I can't help but make these kind of decisions. I, I lose all sense of self-control. And, and even though deep down in your heart you don't want to be that kind of a person, when you hang out with those friends, next thing, you're, you're, you're a gossip or you just become ugly and you're mean towards everybody else, or you go out partying that always leads you to getting drunk, and then you end up doing things you regret with other guys. And so, I mean, and when you boil it all down, it's, yeah, it's because this friendship group, for whatever reason, is choking out the life that you, both you want and the one that Jesus wants for you. And it might be a sign that it could be a part of your life then that needs to be pruned, and it could be all sorts of things. And so I would just encourage you to look, uh, even in terms of what we ingest by way of entertainment, all right? I'm not giving you a list. I just want you to be aware of, Are some of these things causing in us a different thing in our spirit? When you listen to that music or those podcasts or that TV show, does it disease your heart? When you look at those websites or those kind of movies, does it poison your spirit? Or when you flip through that catalog, do you find yourself all of a sudden discontent then with everything in your life? You ever had that happen to you where you start looking at all these products, you're thinking, well, man, my clothes are terrible, my car's no good. I mean, next thing you know, you have that spirit of discontent. That might happen because of what you're ingesting in that particular way. Or when you read those books, does it inflame your dissatisfaction with your marriage? And then you begin to wonder about your co-worker. I mean, these are the things to ask ourselves if we don't see the fruit being born in our life that we think God has intended for us. In fact, some things I think that we can ingest that produce the exact opposite fruit of what God wants for us. And Paul talks about this too, that same section in Galatians 5, where it says in verse 22, 23, the fruits of the Spirit. A few verses earlier, he gives us the opposites. He gives us sort of, this is the other kind of fruit that's not from God that could be born in your life. He says this in verse 19, Galatians 5, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. What is it that we're allowing in our life that's promoting and producing these things in our thoughts or in our heart or in our behavior? And they might be the areas that are choking off then, the nutrients that we need. Functional saviors, the secret or taboo areas, that totally dead space that really there's no yield to it whatsoever, or the last thing here, the, the things that are choking out the life that Jesus intends for us. These are the things to look for, and I have to go, I think this thing is, needs to come out of my life. Let me, let me leave you with two more points here. I want to tell you about, uh, about the life of God pruning our lives here. Two more things. We know this in terms of agriculture, that not all growth on a tree or a plant is a good thing. As sometimes with some vegetation, if you allow it, a tree or a plant can just go crazy in regards to growth and end up with a lot of heavy vegetation. That without the pruning shears of the gardener, plants can go crazy and wild and end up actually undermining itself. It isn't necessarily the more vegetation, the healthier it is. Have you, ever, have you ever looked at a plant or a bush or a tree and just thought, it just looks busy? I mean, it's just crazy busy. Just, there's just so much of it. It needs pruned, not because it's dead and not because it's diseased. It's just too much, so much that it's keeping the plant from having very healthy and very productive fruit. In the same way, I would offer this to you this morning. I think it's possible that you are not bearing fruit in your life like you could simply because you are too busy. There's too much in your life going on, and it is sapping all of your time and all of your energy and all of your thoughts, and you have nothing left. And so even though you want to be in the vine that is Jesus, the truth of the matter is, I'm so busy, I, I don't have time for Jesus. I, I don't have time for the life in the vine. And because you're so busy, it feels like, well, I'm doing things. I'm not like just lazy doing, I mean, it feels like I'm productive. It feels like I, I'm bu- But the busyness, ironically, is actually cutting off from you the ability to bear the fruit. And so you're, you're not diseased. You don't even. You're not even driven by functional saviors. It's not even like a taboo place. It's just there's just simply too much in your life. You're you're so busy with your job, and then taking your kids to every single practice and their activities, and to all the all the other organizations that you volunteered for, to all the relational promises that you've made to your friends and family, and just make you can name the list. But in the end, we can't bear any fruit. Your life has entered into a mediocre survival mode, and nothing thrives in that place. So what happens is you can't bear the fruit of kindness. And it isn't because you don't want that or your heart doesn't desire it or your mind doesn't intend to be kind. You don't have time to be kind. Because you're so busy, you don't even have the eyes to see people right next to you who are in desperate need of the fruit of kindness born in your life from the Lord Jesus Christ. This goes, and you find yourself, I'm sorry, I really liked you, but I can't. I, I, those are the things we keep finding ourselves saying. And what I'd say is you, you might need to just spend some time with the Lord asking what needs to be pruned out that's just it's taken over in terms of busyness and has squeezed out just real time and devotion with being in the vine that's Jesus? And number two, the last thing here is sometimes what is pruned is just for a season. Now, there's some things in my life that I know God needs to prune, and I can't ever get it back. <laughs> like I, I, It can never come back into my life without it being detrimental to bearing more fruit. But it's possible there's some things that might be in my life and might be in your life that it needs to be pruned for now. And it's just for a season, and it's temporary, and later you might be able to see it again. It might be, and I hope this isn't too trivial, but maybe for you it's an unhealthy obsession with sports. That it's all you think about. It's all you watch. It's the only section of the paper that you'll read. It's the only topic of conversation anyone can have with you. And your marriage is hurting because of it. Your daughters haven't had a meaningful conversation with you because of it. It's consuming your time, and you're even distracted at work because all day in your office you're just hitting refresh on the ESPN website to get the latest score. What that means is God may need to remove sports from your life, like all of it, in a dramatic, radical, pruning fashion. What that means is goodbye Notre Dame football 2012 is what I'm saying here, but it might simply be temporary that once you then hang back with Jesus and get your life fully devoted to the vine, and when you begin to receive the abundant life that he has for you, and you're from that healthy perspective, it might be possible then for, for sports to come back in your life. And this time, you'll be able to see it in a more healthy perspective. Does, it, does that make sense? Some things might have to, just for, like, maybe for just now, for whatever reason, because of your, where you're at with Jesus, you just can't hang out with that person anymore. You, when you do, it's just it's not okay. You just know it, it never go, goes right. But if you will then spend time in Jesus and become fully strong in the vine and in that bearing much fruit, then you might be able to be with that person again as a friend. And it's, it's a totally, you'll have a different perspective, a different connection, and a different different uh, place in your life. And so sometimes that happens too. Some, it might just be temporary. Now, here's how I want to close this morning. I, I'm not saying this is the greatest message you've ever heard, but I do believe that At least in terms of application and relating, it's for every person in this room. There's nobody here who does not have something in their life that needs to be pruned. I I don't care whether even you're a dead branch at this moment. I mean, there's something in your life that we know needs to probably be be cut out. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't say, so work real hard and discipline yourself to cut this out of your life, does he? He doesn't say to the branch, now branch, go prune yourself. No branch, right? Who's the pruner? God is the pruner. The Father is the one who's holding the pruning shears. And so it isn't for us to walk out of here and try to discipline ourselves to prune something out of our life. It's for us to go to the gardener, to our Heavenly Father, and to ask Him to prune it from our life. And so here's what you need to know because there can be some anxiety in that, and there always is. I mean, I've said up front, it's never pleasant. Like pruning is not a pleasant part of our spiritual life. And so there could be anxiety in that. But I do want you to know this God is infinitely good. And he is crazy in love with you in a way that I, I don't even know how to communicate that would be sufficient enough for you to understand how crazy in love God is with you. And anytime somebody is that infinitely good and that infinitely loving put together, you're going to be safe. It, it's going to be okay. And so what I'd like us to do is just spend some time just kind of closing our eyes and bowing our head, and let's just ask the Father by the power of the Spirit to bring to our spirit into our mind those things that, w- that need to be pruned from our life. And we just, we're going to trust in his mercy and his kindness and his grace towards us that he'll be able to start removing those things so that we can walk out of here different than how we walked in and thus capable of bearing more fruit for his glory. So let's go ahead and just bow our heads and close our eyes if you want to. and I, I, Let me read just a passage from the Psalms to help us in this activity. This is from uh, David. He writes this Psalm. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence? He closes the passage by saying, search me, O God, and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting Father God we're asking this for this morning just for us that you would search us you would know our heart you would test us to bring out our anxious thoughts if there are any offensive ways that you would bring those to the surface and and we're asking this in your kindness and your gentleness and your mercy and your grace that your spirit would begin to reveal to us those things that you're calling us to let go of, those things that you'd like to take your pruning shears to and remove from our life. And so I'm asking God, if there are functional saviors in our life, that you would bring those to mind, that you would highlight those spaces that are full of either taboos or secrets that they, they need to go. If there's just those dead places that just aren't yielding anything or things that are choking out what you intend for us, would you bring those to mind? Lord God, we want to be free. Would you set us free? Would you allow us to go out of this room this morning and bear fruit in a way that like we have never borne it before? That we will just excel when it comes to love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. This is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, some uh, buckets are going to come around your uh, rove to take up our tithes and offerings. And those connection cards that Tim was talking about earlier, that's where they go as well. So when the bucket comes around, if you want to do that. But one, one thing I would say to you, um, as we're talking about this whole pruning and, and functional saviors and idols, I, I really do believe if, if there's one thing that we might all have in common, it, it probably is the pull of money. Like money has the ability and the power to very quickly consume our thoughts and our attention and our thinking and become an idol in our life. It's very easy. This is why Jesus says that you cannot serve both God and money. I think it's because Jesus recognizes that, no, there's an inherent power in money to call to us to make it something more important in our life than it really ought to be. And to counter that, I think God has us give. Like I don't think... God is broke this morning in heaven like he pulled out the calculator and crunched the numbers and he was short. He's thinking to himself, boy, I hope the Living Stones Church can help me out this morning. I don't think that at all. I think God has us give our tithes and offerings because he knows that when we do so, it dethrones money from ever being an idol in our life. That's how it works. If you don't want something to be an idol in your life, then your ability to let it go and to give it up freely... It will be a, a, a dethroning of, uh, just in the act itself. I think that's part of what's happening here. So let me encourage you this morning as we want to say God will be first. One way that we evidence that is to say even with our money, we trust you, we have faith in you, you alone are our God. So, Father, we give you our tithes and offerings. Use it for your glory. Thank you for blessing us, and I pray a blessing on everyone who's giving now. In Jesus' name, amen.